Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show where life finds a way to fuck us over every time. My name is Christy. And my name is Illumide. And this is the Big Empty Purse Podcast. Oh, God, the song's probably 10 years old already. 2003. So it's not quite 10 years old. Yeah, 20 years old. 10 years old. 2003. Oh, God, no. Oh, no, that is 20 years old. Oh, no, you're right. you been since the last episode (laughs) well not well (laughs) i've been struggling probably more than usual and i think some of that has to do with the fact that i am trying to incorporate more things into my social life and i don't know how people do it how the fuck do people do this thing i'm exhausted i saw maybe a total of 15 people all weekend and i was drained i was just like why is this fun why tired but i did go out i did a few things and then i went to a friend's 30th birthday party and everybody went around the room and there were grown-ass people that looked older than me and when they were talking about this person and how much they liked them as a person they were like oh he was our babysitter when we were very young oh no and i'm like the people we babysat are now old enough to be at bars drinking with us on our birthday no thank you that really just shook me to my core i'm like I'm getting old. It makes me reckless. Reckless. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's my week. Traffic is still a raggedy bitch. True to her form, she never misses. I think I had like a full-on existential breakdown this week too. It's been a rough week. <laughs> I don't even know what triggered it. I was just sitting there and I was, I was sobbing. So that happened this week. So that lets you know the kind of week that I'm having. A birthday party and a breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> Name a more iconic duo. <laughs> How about you? How has your week been? What have you what have you been up to since the last episode? No birthdays, no breakdowns. No birthdays, no breakdowns. What have I been up to? My mother visited us here in DC. Hey, how is she? She is good. Hey. She is good. Shout out to Gail, longtime listener of the podcast, <laughs> slash my mother. <laughs> hey Christy's mom. No, she's she's doing well, and it was lovely to see her. We are midway through back-to-back parent weekends, so our so our social life is in full swing well your your other parents said were your other parents said my mom was in town this past weekend my husband's parents will be in town next weekend but it's good anytime someone visits we get a chance to do the touristy things that we don't bother to do because we live in this city so we we got out to the zoo all the animals we saw the pandas giant pandas are a lot smaller than i thought they were considering they're called giant pandas (laughs) are they shorter than me I don't know exactly how tall they are because they were sleeping, but they were much smaller than I thought they were. Huh. Deep thoughts. I know. I don't know what other podcast you can get these these yes. thoughts at. Nobody else has got them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's been going on. Also, football, professional football started up again, which is fun. But more importantly for podcast content means that fantasy football has started up yes. again. Longtime listeners will remember that I have a very lulzy family fantasy football league, which is a very scattered collection of my family, my husband, his family, my now dad's ex-wife and ex-stepbrother. I don't know. They're divorced, but she's still part of the Family Fantasy Football League. <laughs> We've got, like, my dad's friends from high school. We've got some of my friends from college, including one of my dad's high school friends who rage quit our league, like, two years ago. Literally rage quit a Family Fantasy Football League. Why? Because 
this won't mean a lot to you. Because he didn't win? I mean, essentially, yes. For the people that play fantasy football, we have a two-week final championship instead of a one-week. The last week of a football season is sort of funky. So for some people, like some people who play fantasy football just exclude it. Oh, okay. Ours, we include it, um, which means that the championship game, instead of being just one week of football, is spread over two weeks of football. So I was playing against this guy in the championship game, which lasted over two weeks. And at the end of one week, he thought the game had finished. And he thought he had won because he was ahead at that point. Oh, I see. Oh. And he texts he text my dad like the day after the game's end and is like, oh, you aren't going to congratulate me on my win? And my dad is like, you, you haven't won. There's a whole other week. Which he didn't know. Which your responsibility to know. I know it's a funky rule, but it's the way like that. It's been that way all year. And uh, week two, I came in and crushed him. Like it was it was a resounding defeat. <laughs> and he rage quit the fantasy league. He like rage quit. He and my dad's friendship. Oh for no! Like, more than a year, he did not speak to my father. Chrissy, this is comical. Fantasy <laughs> <laughs> football ruining lives. I can't. It's truly ruining decades-long friendships. <laughs> so he took a year off. They've reconciled their friendship. He's back in the fantasy league this year. He is now aware that it's a two-week championship. <laughs> <laughs> How about this, Christy? Maybe this year y'all should switch it up and turn it into three-weeks championships. Yeah, and long-time listeners will also remember that my husband went through a real hardship, a true trying time, where he played fantasy football for 11 years in multiple leagues a year. Seriously. Seriously played it, did research bet money and didn't win a single league until last year he finally won our family fantasy football we love to see it we love to see it we love to see it did i genuinely genuinely loved that moment for him but now there is no mercy oh none (laughs) (laughs) not a single bit i held out that little spot in my heart for him of like oh but he's never won like it would be really nice if he could win now he's won fuck him Get out of the way. I'm ruthless. <laughs> ruthless. No more fantasy mercy. You're excited to play in a game where all bets are now off, or as you would say, guns are blazing. Friendships ruined. Marriages <laughs> ruined. I mean, my dad and stepmom are already divorced, so like, what can they do? I'm <laughs> screaming. <laughs> I really hope they like play each other in the final game. How fucking hilarious would that be? You know what? Let us know if that's the case. Uh, I would love to be a fly oh, on the wall. You will be. As will the listeners. Thank you. Thank you. We do it for the content, people. We do it for the content. (laughs) So are we going to play a game today? Are we going to play a game today? We are going to play a game today. We are going to wet our whistles for our topic of the day with some sci-fi trivia. Question number one. In the 1954 film Them, people are attacked by giant mutated creatures brought about by nuclear testing. What are these creatures x-men x-men <laughs> i don't know it's one of those like weird early like monster movie things i feel like i think they were ants like i think it was like giant ants oh or something like that some kind of like giant animal we ever just turn people into giant ants i guess that's a great that's a great plot for a movie i think it was more like that nuclear testing turned regular ants into giant ants the content that they consumed back then man yeah you could have the hand waviest excuse just be like but anyway i don't know i don't know the answer to this one i don't know because i don't know sci-fi like that i think it was ants i'm you know what i will just say um anything that crawls yeah because i haven't i don't know i will admit i don't know this era of movies very well i know it more because you know i mean genre crossover like we'll talk about in when we get to the topic bit but these are also like these early monster movies are also like the precursors to horror movie development so that's sort of why i know them and i know this is a monster movie but I, I don't remember i think it's ants i i don't i'm just gonna say anything that crawls giant babies 
1954 film Them featured giant mutated ants. It was ants. Ah! It says... The movie begins with several mysterious deaths, and the police believe they are dealing with a crazed serial killer until one of the automobile-sized ants is spotted. They describe it as automobile-sized ants. I feel like that's not as big as I expected for, like, giant... Like, that would be scary, but, like, it's not, like, Godzilla-sized ant. I mean, that's still way too big for an insect, but... <laughs> then you just... I don't know. Then you just fight them with your automobiles. They're about the same size. Yeah. Yeah, you just get in your car and, like, bumper cars it. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Bumper cars. <laughs> Question number two. How long did it take to render each frame, each frame is 1 24th of a second, of the CGI scenes in the movie Avatar? Since that movie took so fucking long to come out, I'll say like 30 minutes per frame. I'm like considering doing math, but math hasn't worked out very well for me so far today. <laughs> did you see they're like re-releasing it in theaters? Avatar? Are they? I thought they were, I thought there was a they, a sequel that they're releasing. They are making a sequel, in theory, I think. Before making the sequel, I only know because I saw a preview for it literally yesterday. They're re-releasing the old one in theaters. Like, they're doing a theater run of it. Why? Because it turned 10 years old? Oh god, how old is it? Is it... <laughs> yeah, it's 10 years old. <laughs> I'm panicked about any the age of anything right now. 2009. Yeah. It's... So, a little more than 10 years old. Wasn't it like it was the highest gross in everything? It did everything? It, like, broke all the records? It was just this behemoth of a movie. And I was like, mm -hmm. alright, this is Pocahontas with Blueface. Okay, bye. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly. I'm, de I'm derailed so badly. It's okay. We both we both gave it a shove off the rails. You said... 30 minutes. You said 30 minutes? Per frame. I'm going to say... I have no idea. Three hours. That's a slightly different answer than 30 minutes. Watch, it's like two months. <laughs> How long did it take to render each frame, which is 1 24th of a second of the CGI scenes in the movie Avatar? The answer is... Wow. Each frame... Of the CGI scenes in Avatar took an average of 47 hours to render. 47 hours! Oh, is it like a render meaning like a, a software is going to like make the face and the software takes 48 hours to process it? Yeah. Or is it like a human being I drawing? Because like, yeah, I think that's just what it is. It's not like a human being drew those frames. Right. Yeah, this is the, I think that's how, how long it took the computer to render to construct it yeah. i guess they, they had a lot of computers yeah no kidding you know what shout out to the film industry in the in this country because y'all be do some crazy shit to tell a story a fucking story i mean we love it you could probably do something better than avatar but we love it in general question number three in the 1979 movie alien the blue laser lights used in the alien ship's egg chamber were borrowed from which rock band kiss i don't know <laughs> they, they really didn't have their own laser lights like i feel like that would be just lying around a movie set i i just said kiss because uh that seems like the kind of band that would use a lot of blue lasers yeah let's see 1979 would it be a band that's popular in 1979 was this like a publicity thing pink floyd or were they like struggling and they're like selling their gear to get money yeah or <laughs> maybe the maybe the blue lights things were so rare that only a rock star would have it was kiss popular in 1979 probably not beatles i don't know if the beatles did a lot of lasers oh <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't there. I really wouldn't know. Like flamboyant rock bands. Oh, let's just say Queen. Oh, Queen. Queen seems like a good option here. It does seem like a good option. For those of you who are too young to know the band Queen, I can't believe I'm the old person saying, you need to know about the band Queen. But fucking go listen to Queen and then come back and thank me later. Yeah. Slash when you go and listen to them, you'll go over and I'll be like, oh, this song. Oh, this song. Like every, you, everyone knows Queen, even if they don't know they know Queen. Right. But no, I think Queen. most people know Queen. At some point, even that part you just said will start being less true. And that's sad to think. Queen is the one, the two, the three, and the four. So get with it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say Queen. And if I'm wrong, I'll still count it as a good answer because Queen. You know what? I honestly think you might be right. This has some like Freddie Mercury. Like I can see Freddie Mercury being like, yes, you use my lights for the alien chamber <laughs> like, exactly you know what i'm gonna 
if we're wrong, I'm going to be happily wrong with you. And we're going with Queen. Okay. In the 1979 movie Alien, the blue laser lights used in the alien ship's egg chamber were borrowed from The Who. Oh, that seems like another band that would have blue laser lights. It does. Yes. Let's see. The Who happened to be rehearsing on the neighboring sound stage and lent their laser to Ridley Scott, who felt it would add to the scene's atmosphere. They're just looking over at the Who. They were like, that looks more alieny than our shit. Like, can we have that? <laughs> we got two out of three because we're counting the third one, despite the fact that it, the answer wasn't Queen, but it should have been. It has Queen energy. So the topic we'll be discussing today is science fiction. Book reporting. We didn't do it. So what differentiates sci-fi as its own genre? I mean, genres are all sort of bullshit and like sort of useful baskets sometimes, usually not useful baskets. <laughs> to put things in. It's like not something that's factually accurate or at least not currently factually accurate. And I guess it's really the science element of it, which is silly because science is sort of everything. But I guess it's a fictional story that really focuses on something scientific, a fictional scientific concept or technology. You know, the other thing I was also thinking is sci-fi is like a period piece of what people thought the future would look like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a stamp. Like in this year, 2022, this is what the people who lived at this moment in history thought next 20 years would look like. And then you keep going like that. So it's pretty much a period piece about the future. Yep, it is. It's always very funny when, when like, future scenes in old movies, like, when you get to the actual year that that right. was set. Isn't it, like, Blade Runner 2022? <laughs> no, I'm playing, I'm playing. <laughs> no, but Blade Runner was, like, 2047. Like, when we get to 2047, is everything going to be a sand dune? Maybe, actually. <laughs> actually. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. Accurate. Everything's just, like, the de- like, an empty desert. That's what I was trying to remember. In Back to the Future Part 2, they go to 2015. That's the most recent one I remember of them, oh. like, actually hitting the... I'll catch you in 2047 and we'll talk about Blade. Blade Runner. Sorry, sorry. Not Blade as in Wesley Snipes. No. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Continue, please. Differentiating it from other genres, there's always genre crossover, but it often goes hand in hand with things like fantasy or horror. But fantasy, I think, tends towards things that, at least according to our knowledge, like could never happen that are just like totally outside the realm of possibility. Horror can be a crossover, but I think that has less to do with the content and more to do with what the focus of the movie is. Like, is it focusing on, again, genres, there's so much crossover. Right. Because I was going to say there could be a movie about a supernatural being and a really forward thinking artificial intelligence robot in the same Mm -hmm. movie. So what do we call that? And then we start putting slashes. It's sci-fi horror. It's sci-fi fantasy. It's sci-fi action thriller. And I'm just like, then what is it? (laughs) What is it? But yeah, what differentiates sci-fi, I think, if we want to boil it down, is the science. But what the fuck is the science? It can be as fantastical of a science thing as you want. Or it can be like a very minute change where it's like almost like this could almost be real life, except for we've taken this one tiny scientific liberty. Anyway, now we're on a different soapbox. But like, this is why anytime anybody asks me, oh, so what, what genre of movie do you like? Well, fuck, I like a movie that's well done, period. But at least done well, that you can understand <laughs> the vision of the person who created it. Yeah, I think there's things that are hallmarks of each genre, like jump scares being part of horror movies. Like if a movie like employs a bunch of jump scares like that's a horror movie it might be horror slash something else but but here's the thing what if somebody makes a scary movie that would technically be a horror movie but with zero jump scares like the thing can be terrifying without the jump scares now that movie when they make that movie i will see that movie because that would actually be a very intelligent director they do there are a lot of them that that do that now or at least really like play on the expectation of jump scares and not having them. There's a lot of directors that do that so well right now. I was just thinking of uh, Monet Exchange versus Dusty Ray Bottoms. 
<laughs> I see some good girls. I'm gonna turn them out. Sorry, don't choke. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yes, we've beat the dead genre horse. So let's move on to more practical matters. Separate but related questions. Do you like sci-fi and or do you consider yourself a sci-fi fan? I do like sci-fi. Define it either way you want to define it. I think there's something fantastical about it that you can't just be lazy about. If you're going to craft something like that, it has to, when you write it, it has to scale very well. It has to read well. It has to be exciting. So on average, better movies only because everything you can hand wave pretty much all of it to, to, to an extent. In 2022, it's getting, hard, it's getting harder to hand wave like some things at least have to do i consider myself a sci-fi fan no because not because i'm not a fan of sci-fi but because the people we colloquially call sci-fi fans i don't want to be identified with no thanks <laughs> yes i like sci-fi how about you i would say i definitely like sci-fi i know and have watched a lot of sci-fi i guess i, I would call myself a sci-fi fan i do recognize that the, <laughs> there are some sci-fi fans who are like a lot like a lot, yes. like a lot. It's just interesting as a genre. I mean, every genre has its very diehard fans. There are some, like I have some guesses about why sci-fi fans are the way that they are. But like, wait, wait, I'll back up a little. Like, I really enjoy sci-fi as a scientist, but even before I was like by trade a scientist. Like, I right. love the, I love the detail. I love the imagination. Like, I really enjoy people like examining science and technology are like so intertwined in everything we do, and especially like when we grew up. Like, technology is changed. I mean, I guess always, but like we grew up like when the internet was first starting, and just watching technology change so fast, and like seeing people's thoughts on like where this could take us was it's cool. It's fun. It's I, honestly a lot of sci-fi is so dark about like science and technology are gonna like. Like, we're going to use it to fuck ourselves over. But it's also, like, weirdly hopeful in a way. And, like, right. really inspiring. I think it's people that are fans of certain sci-fi franchises that are really the, like, oh. like the Trekkies or, like, the, the, like, Star... I forget what the word for, like, Star Wars fans is. But, like, people get very obsessed with, like, extremely minute details, which they do about a lot of things. But I think there's something about the fact that, like, science fiction tends to be more detailed because they're dealing with science and technology and there are right. so many details for fans to like fixate on and learn about right oh i see i see that's like this is me just spitballing i don't know why they are the way they are <laughs> no but that's very interesting that's very very interesting that's an astute observation what makes sci-fi good or bad i don't know i think as with as with making any movie period i think just on a superficial level bad acting will fuck up a sci-fi movie good acting makes a sci-fi movie like excellent acting because the actors have to believe this fucking concoction of a fantasy for them to sell it yeah i mean i think all of the regular all of the regular storytelling things still apply to sci-fi i think one thing that people tend to get hung up on and i've heard people debate this very strongly from both sides is whether so like it's fiction so not all of science not everything in a science fiction piece is going to be factually accurate by by necessity like some of it is fictional it's made up but people can get very fixated on either all of the surrounding science of the fictional parts being very very accurate or the internal logic of the scientific technologic world oh, being see. like being like being logically consistent so like oh well you said this works the, the fictional technology works this way which means it couldn't actually do this because you said it works this way um and some people feel very passionately that those details all need to be in place for it to be good sci-fi whereas other people are like who cares whatever laser beam does laser beam things great <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i fall somewhere in the middle on that i really appreciate sci-fi stories where they have clearly paid a lot of attention to and like learned a lot of the details and based their scientific fictional leaps on actual science. Right. But I don't know how much of that is like, I appreciate the science being accurate and how much of that is like, oh, this this is a creator who pays attention to detail. 
and this oh, is a creator who cared. I see. I see. I see. I see. Yeah. I don't know if it's just a product of it being created by a person who was like really thinking about the story they were putting together and like instead of just being like... I'm going to make a money grab movie with some lasers because lasers are cool. Like I feel like we can also talk about the fact that with sci-fi movies, you have to have a base level of knowledge to enjoy the movie, but still distrust it. Otherwise, like if this movie was about like, oh, like a movie about genetics and humans, whatever, whatever. If somebody who didn't learn all that stuff and is just watching it for the first time, they're not going to argue that the sequence of DNA doesn't make sense. They're not going to argue mm-hmm. that the the base are not paired properly. This bullshit that sci-fi movies do, instead of them to vaguely represent an item of the future, they will try their best and put... So say, for instance, a walkie-talkie from 1980. Every fucking walkie-talkie looked the exact same in all those futuristic <laughs> movies. Do you see what I'm saying? They were yes. bound by the imagination of what a walkie-talkie looks like today. Mm-hmm. And movies like that look dated very quickly. And the, mm. the, if they pile too much of today's tech in there... And they published that 20, 30 years from now, you can't imagine a whole new world because the 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 timestamps of what those gadgets were have locked you in. You will never be a great movie doing that. Yeah, that's true. That's that is an interesting point, especially like visual sci-fi can be made bad with bad effects. Right. Or even if it was good at the time, like it, it can not age well at all. <laughs> I feel like the, the less tech you display that is very time stamped, the better for the story. Like, do you want it to look like something that's a direct descendant of today's technology? And do you want, thus, do you want it to like look sort of similar, which might lead to it being dated? Or do you take it in a direction where the technology you do looks so utterly different than what we have that that could keep it from looking dated? But then sometimes it just looks silly. Right, so. <laughs> right, right. That's also an interesting thought because we always wonder why they designed all that tech to look so silly. And probably because they didn't <laughs> want to look dated. I think sci-fi is especially prone to looking dated. I need to stop worrying about like the, the different fan schools of thought, but I'm like very like in tune with different ones because I, I like fall in different camps myself and have a lot of other sci-fi fans in my life. But there are franchises that have been going on a long time, like Star Wars, like the original Star Wars. I'm like, I'm tired of hearing Star Wars references. Maybe they should take a hiatus from publishing any more content for 50 years until I die, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that franchise. I would consider myself a Star Wars fan. I'm not like a capital like Star Wars fan, but like I grew up watching the Star Wars movies. I really like them. I went like I've seen all of them in theaters. It's the Star Wars franchise is one where they've never been like super, super concerned about the technology making perfect sense. When you get as far out as Star Wars has gotten, like it's also fantasy. It's not just sci-fi. It's fantasy right, too. Right. And they, it also draws on all these like other cinematic like like Western genres that it's some of the dated stuff that is a descendant of the original movies in the like 70s, 80s, I feel like weirdly works, even though like even in the modern content they're making, like the way they do screens and controllers and things like looks very 70s, 80s. But because these movies all have these like old Western influences and also like a big fantasy component, like they just mishmash it all into the until it's just Star Wars. It's not It's not the actual future. It's Star Wars. Oh my Wars. god. Star Wars is just a Western. It is a Western, yes. <laughs> I didn't... I, I never... What? Right? It's like once you see it, you see it. <laughs> You've just blown my mind. My mind was blown the first time someone pointed it out to me. It was like, oh. The Jetsons. <laughs> like, that's a cartoon that is technically sci-fi, but it didn't take itself seriously at all. And it just mm-hmm. showed the wildest they had like carte blanche to imagine any kind of tech future because all you had to do was draw it it didn't have to be made into a thing that you could carry on a show it didn't have to Mm -hmm. sell the fantasy because the fantasy was just the 2d drawing yep so yeah i love the jetson but i think the jetsons is a genius show i'm sorry there aren't many children's cartoons that i think are great the jetsons is fucking fantastic y'all scholars and 
new age kids who don't know, I better let a bitch know. Tell me thank you after. Yeah, the internet just, the internet always delivers. Uh, but the internet remembered and made sure to point out that this 2022 is the year that George Jetson was supposed to have been born. Canon in the in the Jetsons cartoon. George Jetson is the father, is, is born in 2022, so. This is wild. We are living in the year that Jetsons would have predicted. Well, the subsequent years, right. Got a little ways to go. Like that, everything on that show, the concepts were just wild, wild. Like houses shaped like antennas and the fashions. Okay, let me explain something to you. The fashions, mm. darling. The fashions of the Jetsons, unparalleled. Now I'm like looking at pictures of the Jetsons. I think life imitates science fiction, but I also think science fiction can predict life in the future. And I think in many instances it has. And it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then the person who's building phones is probably going to be influenced by that concept. And when they eventually get to create and make said phone, they will model it after something that they've seen or something that inspired them. Mm, yeah. Yeah, no, I hadn't even thought about it from like a design standpoint, but that really makes sense. Cause people do like, I don't know that I could put my finger on it. Like it's definitely a word you would use to describe the design of objects or spaces of like, it looks futuristic. Which right. is sort of a weird general descriptor because the future contains a lot of things. But I think you're probably right that like science fiction, like visual science fiction has influenced a lot of design. A good example of this is Ween Hall. Oh, God. Yeah. That was sci-fi that had them in a fucking chokehold. A building like that? <laughs> who were they trying to convince? So for those who don't have the pleasure of knowing, Ween Hall is an academic building at all, our alma mater, Carnegie Mellon, that is uh, a shining example of the brutalist architecture style and that it is like one of the largest poured concrete structures <laughs> in the country. <laughs> oh my Lord, is it hideous. And it's, it's just got this, like, I think people called it like the turtle's head. It's just got this giant concrete, like, protrusion off the side of it. I don't know why it's not crumbling. That's one. I don't know. That building must be very heavy. But why they think such an ugly thing would be in the future? It's the future. You can make it anything you want. Why would you make it ugly? <laughs> science itself is a lot of times focused on like, what is the next small step? Because science has to be done in very, very small steps. But big scientific leaps happen. And even those small steps like add up surprisingly fast. So I think it's really cool for and useful for science fiction creators to take those extra steps and like take a concept that exists now and say like what if we took it to the max like what if what if we added this element and really let it go what if something we have now combined with something else and like what would that look like like that sort of thought experiment i think right. is actually really useful and inspirational for actual science and i think i mean i don't i don't know of any direct examples but i would i wouldn't be surprised if actual scientists had sort of breakthroughs inspired by things in science fiction. And people, I mean, people overhype current science all the time. So like, take what I'm about to say. I mean, you know what grain of salt to take what I'm about to say, but like, <laughs> uh, like CRISPR technology, like right. for like doing genetic modifications is like the media is like sensationalizing it a little bit, but also like the modifications we can make, like the genetic modifications we can make with CRISPR technology are wild. Yeah. Like backing it up like a little bit, that's that's some sci-fi shit. CRISPR can let us do things that we really had no capability to do before. It's, and the it's other wild. thing is, I was just thinking right now when you said that is, I think those creators do a service to humanity and I hate to be pompous when I say it that way. Because when they make a movie like that and they say, oh, CRISPR-Cas9 can do X. And if they show like, oh, in the X future, CRISPR-Cas9 is able to solve all of these problems, is able to do X, Y, and Z for these people. When the regulatory board body sees the first actual first in human CRISPR-Cas9, there's already a movie reference that even though is not factual, has described how well it could work. 
So they're not going to look at it as like, oh, this is a horrible thing. They're going to say, oh, we know the potential that this thing has because we've seen a movie that did a very good job explaining. So that may be also helpful. On the less heavy flip side of that, but still important for scientists to think about is that I think science fiction allows us to explore some of the ethical considerations of scientific advances. Right. Going back to Gattaca. <laughs> right. That was a political statement wrapped inside a sci-fi and it was done yes. so beautifully. Equilibrium featuring Christian Bale. What is this movie about? The gamma, the gamma clerk. I don't know what that means. That's what they call them in the fucking movie. It's about a future where everybody's under mind control. And this mm. guy, where they numb every human's emotions with a pill daily. And then this guy gets off his pill and then he has to pretend like he doesn't have feelings. But I haven't seen that, actually. It's a good movie. If the reason you hate this movie is that Tay Diggs, Tay Diggs is, is a raggedy bitch. Let's take a hiatus for a second. I'm talking about <laughs> Equilibrium. If you are in a movie... And the concept and the principle is that the people you're supposed to be portraying have no emotions because they've had their emotions dulled by a pill. But you're trying to play a villain for that role. This man was grinning, he was smiling, he was frowning, he was showing all these emotions <laughs> in his face. And I'm like, you raggedy bitch, you didn't read the script? <laughs> it said you have no emotions. I was so irritated. But anyway, if that's the reason that you don't like this movie, I understand I'm with you on it. I'm glad I got that off my chest. Must all science fiction content be about the future? I don't think so. I think the genre sort of naturally lends itself to that because like we know what science is today and because we have today as a basis, we can think about what it would be in the future. But I don't think it has to be. It could, I feel like it could also be about alternate reality because yeah. it doesn't have to be temporal. It could just be spatial. Oh my God, now I'm using big words. It's <laughs> uh, like, it doesn't have to be now versus the future. It could be now versus another version of now right or it could be now where something in the past was different like what if x scientific thing happened 50 years ago and then where are we now so like... or maybe in the past and something scientific was different mm -hmm. so it'd be a period piece with a scientific component that would be fiction and it would be scientific it would be sci-fi <laughs> <laughs> and of course you've got your time travel movies that can be literally at any point right at any time they always have like a future component because time travel is not currently invented. But... You know what? Time travel was invented by script writers in Germany. I'm playing, I'm playing, but hear me out. If you wanted to do a period piece about any period whatsoever, and you want to be able to bring your audience with you, you would put maybe the first two minutes of the movie to be now, and then your audience gets comfortable. They're like, oh, we can recognize now. And then you switch it on them and say, there was a time travel that happened, and then he went back to this period. And then the rest of your movie is that period. Mm -hmm. You've just scammed everybody because you <laughs> use time travel as a means to just do a period. So time travel <laughs> doesn't only lend itself to sci-fi in that sense. It could be- It's a, it's a vehicle for historical fiction. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and storytelling. Or among many other things, like yeah. yeah, it's a storytelling thing. <laughs> so I don't think time travel was ever started as a scientific human beings. We're going to move back and forth in time. No, it started out as a storytelling thing, and people then figured out the science to explain if it could be, how could it be? Yeah, time travel is one of like many. I mean, there's a lot of sci-fi concepts like this where they can either be taken as like the simplest storytelling device of like, okay, time travel is possible. That's all you need to know. We're gonna go from there. Or like the whole movie is time travel, like nothing but like, how does it work? Like, what are the implications? Like, have you seen Primer? I've seen Foundation. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That was such a dad joke. Primer. No, I haven't seen Primer. Have you seen Foundation, the actual the show? Did you know there, there a is show, a show? Did you say that as a joke. <laughs> no, I was just making a joke about makeup. There's a show called Foundation. There's there's a novel and a show. There's a novel, a sci-fi novel called Foundation, and a show Foundation based on it. Not Primer and Foundation. <laughs> 
It's it's an Isaac Asimov novel. <laughs> I thought you knew. I didn't realize it was a joke right away. It was a joke. I'm so stupid. No. Um. So wait. What about this Primer movie though? Yeah. So Primer. <laughs> The movie is a time travel movie. It's it's essentially like telling a story about a very, very small space, a very small amount of time, a very small number of characters. And sort of the whole point of the movie is these few characters are able to time travel. Honestly, the whole movie is a puzzle. It's not even a great story. It's an interesting puzzle. Like at some point, look up like mapping of the timeline in the movie Primer, because it's one where you're meant to sort of watch it and you're not sure who time traveled at what point and affected what things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's a maze to tell in a story in a movie format. It's really fascinating. They don't do the greatest job. Oh, that, that's going to be a remake. That's going to be a remake. Somebody's going to figure out, oh, this story could be better if we do actually, and they're going to remake it. Yeah, they're going to remake it. If they can figure it out, that would be great. Because it was fascinating, but there are people who will watch that movie, like, like capital F fans, who will like watch the movie over and over and analyze every single minute detail to be like, oh, so this is actually the fifth time that this person has been through this event and the sixth time that this person has been through this event and this person came back at this point and after this they went <laughs> it's it's a wild movie that's what that's what um christopher nolan did with tenet so how does sci-fi work or not work in different forms of media like written or movies or tv shows oh this is a good question I feel like it's easier to write a sci-fi book than it is to make a sci-fi movie. Because as soon as you make it into a movie, you've locked your audience's imagination to what they can see. But if you write it as a book, the imagination is freer. And that the book, the content in the book will not age as much as a TV show would. Because you're not giving a visual lock on whatever it is. So I think uh, sci-fi books are great, but ain't nobody got time for that. Just give me the movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely books give authors a lot more freedom, either to talk about things that would be prohibitively expensive to build or <laughs> CGI render. Things that they can describe that would be hard to represent visually. Right. Like some of it, it is, it would even be like, like internal things. Like even if you were making a movie about it, like maybe somebody wouldn't look different, but something is happening. Oh, right. Maybe they'll, um, they'll write a sci-fi about the robots being in their veins. Like Neo in um, Matrix, where that bug was entering his stomach and doing all sorts of... Like, I think written word works really well for sci-fi. But there is something very cool about being able to actually see something. When visual sci-fi is well done, it's like breathtaking. It's very cool to actually see things on, like, especially space things, like see things on these crazy scales that are hard to imagine. Like, that's the, the thing is like, it being written gives a lot of space to imagine, but the author has to do a good job, which they don't always. Like, yeah. There are good sci-fi authors, but but the author has to do a good job and you have to like put in the effort. And sometimes it's something that's so unfamiliar that it's hard to actually visualize it. So when a really good movie maker or TV show maker can actually put together a really cool sci-fi visual, it, it can be very impactful. Like Matrix 1, for instance, they did put some tech in there because, you know, they maybe they didn't know better. But the story and the concept of the Matrix, no matter what decade you watch it, still, yeah. It's still everything checks out, um, and that green everything. You know what? You know what I mean? Like the green text on the screen. That was like the first thing that dated that movie. Yeah, it's true. I was like, just don't fucking have the green text on the screen. But I guess they wouldn't know. They, I guess they wouldn't know, right? So I think one of the reasons sci-fi is so popular is because it's like a numbers game. There are so many concepts that can only survive in a sci-fi genre. Or as in, if you're going to make a movie or content about it, there's only one way to deliver this content in a way that most people understand it. So. 
first of all, you have way more creative freedom. You just say it's sci-fi. The, world, the year is 2050 or the year is different than now. That already gives you mm-hmm. a carte blanche to be like, I've already told you this movie is not going to be based very much in your reality. It's a reality mm-hmm. that is not yours. So now I'm like, since I've told you that, I can say that humans levitate on whatever planet they live on. And then you have to believe me because I've told you that it's not your reality. So it kind of like gives you creative freedom. But also on the flip side, a lot of other genres are not forgiven to creative imagination. So if you do a period piece or a piece that's a biography about a president or a president's wife, you cannot be creative because most people lived through and remembered that actual true to life person or event. So it's kind of how like now when um, Natalie Portman did Jackie Kennedy, everybody was ripping her to shreds because they were like, no, we know Jackie Kennedy. We know the kind of life she lived. She lived in the public. This is not what you're doing with that character. So that kind of creative imagination where you want to change your character doesn't work for those. But if you wanted to do it in sci-fi, perfect place to do it. Subliminal learning, multiverse theory, parallel universes, space travel. I don't know if you wanted to talk about some of these in depth, but like telekinetic mind control. These are all concepts that are hard to imagine unless they're made as a sci-fi content. But I feel like you can use a sci-fi concept to tell a different story, or you can use a sci-fi concept to tell a very sci-fi story. Right. Like everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. yeah. Like you can use a sci-fi concept. It's based on parallel universes, but the story is really a romance. Like you can, yeah. or a, a, like a time travel, but really it's a, it's really more of like a horror or more of a mystery, or it can be very focused on the science and technology aspect of it. Aliens is definitely one where it's nice to have books because it's a little better now that effects are better, but I feel like in a lot of TV shows and movies, it's like, ooh, an alien, an actor who has blue skin and some little horns. Uh. <laughs> they just look, so like aliens all just end up looking like humans right. with like slight, slight differences, where in reality, aliens could be, be anything. anything. <laughs> like could They be could be the gray face with the onyx black eyes, the oval onyx <laughs> black eyes. But that's the thing. Why is our generation going to have that image stamped in our heads for aliens? Mm-hmm. I don't know if the yep. upcoming generations will have that same image, but this is what sci-fi does. A whole generation, maybe three generations of people, believe that aliens look like gray faces with black oval eyes. And that's what sci-fi does. It created an image, sold it to us. Oh, two, three generations have bought it, but it doesn't have to be that because nobody's actually seen a fucking alien. Now that I'm actually thinking of it, some of my favorite sci-fis explore some of like the nature of what what would alien what could alien life be like like what might be i'm thinking uh, one of contact which is originally a novel the novel was written by carl sagan and it's about a woman who is searching for alien life she's a like radio satellite operator um who makes contact with alien life i'm not going to end up describing it very well oh i forgot matthew mcconaughey was in this movie too hey 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 it's a good movie really good movie um but uh, there's a really cool line from that movie where they actually like build the technology to go and send Jodie Foster's character to like meet the aliens, which like turns out to not really be like the method of communication and just like the vast differences in what this other set of beings is and what we are is, is just so different that she goes and she interacts with them and she comes back and they ask her what it was like. And she says they should have sent a poet because she doesn't even know how to describe it. Like she doesn't know how to like express what she just experienced. It's a really cool movie. One of my favorite sci-fi, I'm reading the book series. They've also made it into a TV show. The first five books is The Expanse. I think I've talked about The Expanse before. It's interesting because they made the first five Expanse novels into TV shows and excellent TV shows actually. But I, I was upset that they stopped after novel five, but honestly, some of the stuff in the last few novels, I have no idea how they would visually represent it. 
But then again, I'm not a filmmaker, so. That's the thing. I think the technology for film, as it gets better, will be able to tell. I feel like everything everywhere all at once, if we tried to make that movie in 19... You would still rely on so much imagination that you might as well make it a stage play. Does your brain do the thing where, like, if you're asked a direct question... It's like there's no information. It's like, I have never seen a sci-fi movie. Yes. I feel the same way, and I'm the one who asked the question. I'm also just bad about pinning down a favorite for anything. Yes, because there's so many good ones. So I usually give people, ones. like, top five or top three because I don't want to be, like, rude. Matrix is one of mine. Like, the first one. I, yeah. I remember how young I was when Matrix came out. I shit you not, it blew my consciousness. So I really like The Matrix. I really like um, Inception, too. Inception is good because mm. I love those movies that give you something to think about and you get stuck in the loop because they don't give you an out you know how you make a movie and then there's usually this um dramatic tension release at the end that movie doesn't have that and then it just forces you to think about what you just saw so inception is also a really good one everything ever all at once there we go mm-hmm. everyone on this podcast should know by now that we stand that movie yeah probably my favorite one i think i already said which is contact I think that's probably my favorite movie some of the like so many of these i'm like i'm literally just googling like sci-fi movies and some of them are some of my favorite movies, but I would consider them a different genre. Right, like Donnie Darko. Um, yeah, like Jurassic Park. That's yeah. a, it is a sci-fi. It's about bringing dinosaurs back to life through like genetic technology, but it's also like a horror slash action movie. Let's see, oh, recent ones. Um, oh, I need to rewatch both of these. Um, Arrival and Annihilation. Have you seen either of those movies? Arrival is one with um, the lady, Amy Adams. Amy Adams, yeah. I, I remember seeing the trailer. I don't remember if I saw it. I probably saw it and I just forgot. Honestly, I don't know. I didn't love it as a story, but for but Interstellar, the visuals, like when I think of oh. a movie that like visually represented some incredible things, Interstellar, Interstellar. was really impressive yeah, that was for good. that. That was excellent. Gattaca is also good. I remember I spoke about Gattaca before. Yes. I like Gattaca. Gattaca. Now I'm just like Googling and walking down memory lane. There are so many good sci-fi movies. <laughs> Men in Black. <laughs> did, you, did you see Robocop as a kid? Was that a no. show? <laughs> That was a wild, wild, wild show. Yeah, like Alien is on here. Alien, amazing movie. I'd consider it more horror. of a horror movie. But again, e. genres are bullshit, so. E.T. <laughs> Extraterrestrial. Of course, you've got your Star Treks and your Star Wars. Avatar. I feel like a lot of the superhero movies are also futuristic. Because yeah. if I think about Batman, for instance, I'm like, I stand Batman. And even 00, 007, James Bond, like, that is sci-fi to me. Now, somebody else will say it's squarely camp or it's squarely a spy detective. But I'm like, that is camp and sci-fi. He would go to see the quartermaster and he would just whip out all these things. This is a pen that shoots floss. This is a bomb that's stuck in your wristwatch. And that would just be part of the plot now. Ghostbusters is sci-fi. Yeah, all the gadgets yeah. they used to trap the ghost. I'm just like... Mm-hmm. These people were not sober when they came up with these movie concepts. <laughs> no. Like, not a no. single one of them. So, that concludes our episode on science fiction. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Big Empty Purse. Tweet us, message us, let us know what topics you'd like to hear us cover in the future. Next week, we'll be talking about existential dread. Until then, good luck.